This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am absolutely thrilled to have uh, the very well-known, uh, best-selling author, among many other things, Temple Grandin on the show. Temple, good morning and thanks for being with us. It's good to be here. Okay, so so I think your name is, is very well-known probably throughout most of our audience because they're listening and tuning in to learn more things things about autism and what's going on in the field. And you have been a very vocal advocate and speaker and author uh, about your own experiences personally, uh, as well as how you've tied much of your work in to, to autism spectrum disorder. So I'm hoping that you can start today just by giving us a background on, on yourself, and then we'll, we'll have a conversation about some important topics that I know are very, uh, very important to you. Well, I'm, I am a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, consultant to the livestock industry, designed a lot of facilities for the livestock industry. And when I was four years old, I had all the severe symptoms of autism. And I, what I'm concerned about is I'm seeing too many smart kids um, not getting employed, not learning working skills. And Fortunately, I learned working skills at a young age. When I was 13, my mother got me a sewing job with a a lady who just did freelance seamstress work out of her home. And when I was 15, I was cleaning horse stalls. Learning how to work before they graduate from high school is really, really important. Okay, so so I want to differentiate and ask you your opinion on this. You, you talk about, you use the phrase learning how to work, which to me is subtly different than learning a specific skill or, or getting on a career path. You're, what do you mean when you say learning how to work? Is it the actual job or is it learning how to be in a work setting successfully? It's learning how to show up be on time, mm-hmm. get the job done, get along with colleagues, and it's a different set of skills than academics. I've seen people on the spectrum do super well in academics, get advanced degrees, and then lose it in the workplace because they haven't learned working skills. When I was in high school and not doing any studying, I basically ran the school's horse barn. Every day I had to be there, clean the stalls, put them in and out, feed them the correct amount of feed. There's a responsibility and there's a lot of kids where, well, some are at Walmart would do them a lot of good just to learn working skills. Right. And because and, I think that there's a misnomer out there, possibly, that, you know, there are individuals on the spectrum, not all, but many who have the ability to learn very rote, sort of repetitive skills that can that can fit nicely into a, a specific job. There's the other part, yep. which is interacting with your boss and taking criticism and taking yep. direction and, and being able to understand that if this is your job, but then something else takes priority, you need to be able to to sort of shift to that other thing for a little while. That's the balance you're talking about, correct? Well, and you have to do an assigned task. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I did a little freelance uh, painting of signs, and my first customer was a beauty shop, and I had to make him a sign that a beauty shop would want. I can't decorate it with cattle. They're right. not going to want that. <laughs> right, right. Understood. So something that's, so that's learning, again, that, that piece of what's important to me, what I like is not necessarily what the customer likes, which you're, you're absolutely right. All these things fit into uh, not just obtaining a job, which is another topic that I feel like we talk about a lot, getting a job 
which involves interview skills and resume writing sometimes and uh, and sort of how to how to present yourself initially is different than keeping a job. Well, interviews, we need to just bypass that. The way I sold jobs, and I've designed the stockyards and chutes and handling systems for every Cargill beef plant in North America. And the way I got that job was showing off my portfolio of blueprints and drawings, photos, uh, very attractive professional brochure, and articles in the cattle and meat industry magazines. It's showing your work. That's how I got those jobs. It's showing your portfolio rather than a resume. Okay. So, and and you you said something very interesting. You think we should forego the interview process completely? I'm short circuiting that and just go in the back door. And I just got finished reading this book, Coders. It just came out. Big, huge, hardback book. And Silicon Valley's full of people with Aspergers. In fact, in the book, there were two of them that were identified as either autistic or Aspergers. So you've got some very successful um, mm-hmm. Aspergers running Silicon Valley, running big companies. Yes. And and so there's kind of three paths that some of these autistic kids are going. Go to Silicon Valley, and they're not going to get their playing video games. I can tell you that right now from reading this book. That's not an on-ramp to Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, in, end up in the basement playing video games, or they go on to some other type of career. Because there's three kinds of minds. The mathematicians can go on into Silicon Valley. Uh, The visual thinkers like me, what I do with the livestock is basically industrial design, go into things like graphic arts, industrial design, um, skilled trades, fixing cars, got a huge uh, shortage of mechanics. And then you get your word thinkers that love history, and they can be extremely good at specialized retail. They're not going to be coders, and they're not going to be mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, there's, there's people with autism are good at one thing, bad at something else. And in my book, The Autistic Brain, I talk about the three different kinds of minds and the scientific evidence behind that. You've got your mathematician, visual, spatial, pattern thinker who, um, who runs Silicon Valley, all those big companies. Right. And then you've got the art kind of mind, that's me, that absolutely can't do algebra. <laughs> but people with my kind of mind can fix stuff, build equipment, uh, do artwork, uh, graphic design, uh, skilled trades. And then you've got the word thinker, your history, people that like history a lot. And they, they could be very good at specialized retail, something like selling cars, because they'd be appreciated for their knowledge of a specialized product. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... so- I don't. I don't disagree with you. I think um, I. I also struggle with algebra, but that might be for different reasons. I think that, and I, and I know that you, you wrote thinking in pictures. That that was, I think, one way to sort of t- help the larger population understand that visual way of thinking. And I've seen some of your uh, copies yeah. of some of your your drawings and your blueprints for the designs that you've done uh, for the the farm equipment and the and the ag equipment. And to to me, that is mind blowing in terms of the level of detail that you can create. Can you give us some insight just from a personal perspective about what when did you start drawing like that and and did you use it be, before it, it was something that you did for uh, for your career did you use it to cope with stress did you use that kind of drawing and visual thinking to 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 work on relationships with your family members no, or friends I, I, I basically when I was in third grade yeah it became obvious that I was good at art mm-hmm. and my mother always encouraged me to paint and draw many, many different things to broaden it out. 
you might have another little kid that's good at math. Mm. And he's a behavior problem at school because he's bored, totally bored. Well, maybe that kid needs a high school math book. Well, then give it to him. I'm not suggesting putting him in high school. Mm-hmm. Just let him do the high school math book in the third grade class. Mm-hmm. And don't tell me a reason not to do it. They cost $9 used on Amazon. So mm-hmm. don't give me a reason not to do it. So, okay. So that that's very much about just looking at the individual person and saying, if you're bored, give you something, you know, create create something for that child that that will work for them without cha- necessarily having to change the setting. Do we do we in the general population temple in your in your opinion do we overthink this stuff? Are we are yes, we making we, too we much over, of a big deal over this? We're overthinking it because autism in its mild forms is just a personality variant. You see a brain can be more thinking or a brain can be more social emotional. At what point does it become an abnormality? That's the problem. I worked for years in construction building we worked on building these big cargill plants. And I worked with all kinds of skilled tradespeople own metal fabrication companies that are totally on the spectrum. And they just got into it through the high school welding class. And then I'm seeing the same kid today, the young version, getting addicted to video games, and they're going nowhere. And I just learned from reading this book about coders that um, I don't see anything in that book about video games being a big on-ramp into the into Silicon Valley. That's not what's happening. Right, right. No, I, th- I think uh, that I agree with you that that's probably different. I will uh, tell you that I have also heard um, a tie between um, that kind of thought process that maybe, you know, being really excellent at, at playing a video game is something that's, you know, worthwhile, meaningful time spent uh, towards, a, towards a job. But what ends up happening is that person ends up often not moving out of their parents' house and staying in the that's basement the and isolating it's, themselves. The other thing I learned from reading the coder's book mm-hmm. is, you know, in video games, you get emotionally charged up when you can do the next level. Yes. There's a similar thing when I dug into this coder's book on where they figure out how to make a program work. And I go, this is just like going up to the next level in the video game. But they don't say that. You see that they, 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 these, these coders are often another, another highway from the guys playing video games. But a lot of these guys playing video games all the time be excellent coders. But they're never they're not getting taught coding and they're also not learning any job skills. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So so we're going to take a short break in a minute. But just in that last minute before our break, outside of, you know, meeting the children where they're at and giving them things that will keep them engaged in learning, as opposed to focusing on the fact that they have to stay at a certain grade or be learning exactly the same thing that their peers are learning. Right, I'm going to I'm going to talk about the outcome. And I don't want them ending up in the basement playing video games no. uh, and not working. Mm-hmm. Do you interact with students in your current position uh, at the university who, who are struggling with this? Do you do you see it every yes, day? I, you do. No, I, I do. And I uh, one of the things I'll tell a student who's struggling, if the quiz in math or some other class, you go and get help now before you crash the course. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you if you find that those students respond to you and your recommendations um, because they know your experience and, and you share that with them. Uh, yes, they have. Yeah, I've, I've tried to help a lot of students. And I've had students in my class that I know have been on the spectrum. Some are declared, some are not declared. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems I'm seeing is when they get into trouble in the class, they're not doing something about it quickly enough. You fail that first quiz, you get tutoring. And that was something that I did. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you what else you think that uh, our educational institutions could be doing or the individuals themselves could be asking for uh, to, to help uh, help get in a different direction or a better better path faster. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. 
When you love someone with autism, one question takes center stage. How do you give this person you adore the best shot at a wonderful, fulfilling, productive life ahead? At Anderson Center for Autism, we work on resolving that question every day. Our mission, which drives everything we do, is to optimize the quality of life for people with autism. What does that mean? It means interactive classrooms with state-of-the-art technology. It means spirited arts, music, and recreational programs. It means job training, volunteer, and community integration opportunities. It means events and support for siblings and parents. It means safe, welcoming residences designed for people with autism that feel like home. And at the heart of it all, it means aligning every single thing we do at Anderson with our belief that quality of life is directly tied to the quality of relationships. You see it in the smiles, the high fives, and the fact that every breakthrough begins with a strong, uplifting, nurturing, human-to-human connection. Come experience it for yourself. Schedule a tour or learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozensky, and I'm having a really interesting conversation today with Temple Grandin, uh, who is talking to us about her thoughts on um, employment, uh, learning job skills, and, and how to have a job, which I think is a really important phrase. Um, and now we're getting into some of the things that you learned from this book. You recently read Coders, which is helping, you know, sort of giving you more of an idea of um, reinforcing these three kinds of minds that you've written about. Um, so so you, when we took a break, Temple, you were just talking about um, some things that you see in your among the students you have uh, at the university um, who may not be getting help wh- as quickly as they need to to actually be more successful. Is that, Am I capturing that correctly? No, I'm seeing problems with that. Mm-hmm. And in my class, uh, the students have to do a scale drawing. Mm-hmm. I've got students today that have never used a ruler. Another problem that we're running into today, and I've talked to a lot of professors, a lot of universities about this, is writing skills are bad. And the reason why they, they're bad is because a student never had anybody red mark up their work and correct it. Another big problem I'm seeing is totally overprotective families. I mean, I've seen teenagers, fully verbal, that look like they ought to go work for Google, and they've never shopped. They don't know how to order food in a restaurant. They don't know how to do laundry. They just don't know how to do any basic skills. And I'm finding some parents are, just can't let go. They go, well, poor little Tommy's got autism, so we'll order his hamburger for him. I go, no, he has to go up to the counter and order it himself. Now, when I first start out, I'm going to take him to McDonald's when it's not busy. We have to, but we have to keep stretching these kids, mm-hmm. stretching them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stretch them, develop. And the other big thing is learning working skills. Let's start at around 11 with dog walking for the neighbors. Somebody else's dog outside the home on a schedule. Wait, Church, you... synagogue, mm-hmm. you know, neighborhood volunteer jobs. Learning how to do work on a schedule for somebody outside the family. And and that and that one word comes to mind when you're talking about all this, and that's uh, responsibility. Yeah, but learning how to do a task. You got to mm-hmm. walk Mr. Jones's dog every day at six o'clock for twenty minutes. Right. And you don't let it run off. Uh, it's a responsibility, and you've got to do it every day and do a quality job of walking Mr. Jones's dog. So I, it's interesting to me, and I think you know all things change over the course of, of generations and decades and centuries, obviously, and, th- and technology has changed a lot. When you told the story about rulers, I thought to myself, I mean, 
every household in my childhood had a yardstick. I mean, it was just one, like everyone had one. Um, and we had the little rulers and we had the side with the inches and the side with the centimeters. And I used that for everything. And I realize now that, for instance, I, I have two children and, and neither of them are on the spectrum, but my son is in second grade. My daughter's in sixth grade. And they've both gone through in their math classes, bringing home those sheets where, you know, you're working on measurement. And I realize that they don't, they're not told to get a ruler from home. It's either given to them on a piece of paper or um, it, I used to get sheets that was just a line and you had to figure out how long it was. There's there's a lot more sort of handed to a child than, than you know, f- sort of figure this piece out. And well, I think we're teaching kids how to take tests, but we've got a certain amount of kids today growing up totally separated from the world of the practical, you know, things like just fixing stuff. How do you fix a lamp? How do you just fix things? Um, and for some of these kids, especially the visual thinkers like me, a high-end skilled trade would be a good choice. Good job that will not get replaced by computers. Things like electricians, plumbers, car mechanics, uh, airplane mechanics, mm-hmm. uh, welders, the heating and air conditioning uh, people. Uh, that's the good job for visual thinkers like me. And the mathematical thinkers ought to be going into coding, but instead they're ending up getting addicted to video games, and they're not learning any of the programming that's behind the video games. Interesting. You mentioned mechanics a couple times now in this interview. You, I think earlier you said there's a severe shortage of car mechanics. Is that oh, true? Absolutely. We have a huge shortage of skilled trades. Like they're building, we just finished up building a new addition onto our animal science building. I talked to the guy running the job, and he had a shortage of electricians. Three years ago, we're building our new chemistry building. They could not get enough electricians. Mm-hmm. You know, these are high-end skilled trades. I'm not talking about putting up sheetrock and laying floor tiles. I'm talking about the highly skilled trades. We've got a huge shortage, and they're great jobs for the uh, the visual thinkers uh, like me, the, the sort of less mathematically inclined. Mm-hmm. And these jobs are not going to go away. No, not not anytime soon. I would agree. What um what you also mentioned earlier that you talk a lot with other universities, maybe colleagues of yours, and also colleagues yes, across the country. And I know you're you still do a tremendous amount of speaking engagements. What is the what is the response that you get typically from? Let's just choose one group. But, you know, other uh, colleagues, peers of yours in the in the university settings, when you talk about these three kinds of minds and what you see happening and and uh, and what you just said about the skilled trade. And, and you know, is, is there a sense that those jobs are just not, you know, I don't know, professional enough? Or... Well, they stick their nose up at it. But I can tell mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. these big Cargill plants, complicated. Uh, in December of 2017, that's only a year and a half ago, I visited two brand new pork processing plants. And I was horrified to find out that we in the U.S. no longer make the specialized, very clever mechanical engineering specialized equipment for that plant. It's all made in Canada, and it's made in Europe. Yeah, we make the clunky cold room doors. We build the building, power, boilers, um, refrigeration. Yeah, we're still doing that. But the super clever mechanical engineering, well, the kid that should be making that stuff's playing video games in the basement. So why do you think... I was ready to cry by the time I got through the second plant. Uh, Why do you think... We used to make that stuff. Right, and and why do you think that that now is it's is Canada and Europe are they are they 
pre uh, presenting these opportunities, educational opportunities, in a different way to their students? Is that why they're well, doing it they, there? They, they've kept what, one of the things that we did was very stupid is taking the skilled trades classes out of the high schools, like things like welding and car mechanics. Now they're realizing the mistake and they're mm -hmm. starting to put some of those classes back in. And there's a certain kind of mind that they start working on motors, they just fall in love with them. Yeah. But they're not going to find out they like motors unless they get exposed to them. Right. 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 And I mean, I, I, yeah, I think I. I, I do uh, remember those days, and certainly when my parents were in school, that was uh, that was much more common. It, it went away, I think, uh, in the same way that we lost a lot of the arts more recently uh, through budget cuts and things like that. Yeah, I, the I, other thing, let's talk about yeah, jobs. Let's theater. talk about jobs. Theater. Mm -hmm. Theater and live music is not going to go away. I've been watching very carefully where computers are going to be taking things over, and people are still going to want to watch live theater. And you can, you know, there's some people on the spectrum be good at acting, but there's also lots of great jobs just working backstage, you know, mm -hmm. making scenery and all of these sorts of things. You know, these jobs are not going away. Setting up big concert stages. Right. There's a guy didn't even graduate from high school. And he's got a business setting up huge concert stage uh, stages and stadiums. Right. And honestly, you have to be excellent at that in order to draw, you know, the, enough clients and big name clients to be able to make a career out of that. Oh, so how but, did I? Let me tell you, I started my business one tiny job at a time. Mm -hmm. It's my my freelance work started out with a sign for hair dressing salon yeah. and then sign painting gradually went into corral design i started one satisfied client at a time and then i wrote about it being able to write was really important in my career because i design a project and if it was something new and unique then i wrote about it i didn't get cargill right off the bat Right, but that, that's that's a really cool connection, Temple. That's a really cool connection, the ability to take one thing at a time, do it well, satisfy a customer, and then something that you never hear people talk about anymore, which is to write about it and somehow get that out there and get it published. You hear tweets. I mean, you can't, you can't, you're talking about writing, maybe not writing, you know, 20 pages, but writing no, at least no. the length of a blog entry or something. Well, um, I would write, I would write something that would be two to three double-spaced pages. Okay, is about, okay. Is what I would write. And then I'd have three or four pictures with it. Yeah, and that's why, you know, that's why you're caring about, you know, seeing, uh, or I would assume seeing some of that uh, that skill really go away. Well, um, I, also, I also made myself knowledgeable in a specialized area, and gaining that knowledge did not happen overnight. I spent about three years going to every feed yard in Arizona and a whole bunch of feed yards in Texas working cattle to find out what designs worked and what designs did not work. And I had to learn how to read drawings. Now, when it got to the point where I had to learn where I drew the drawings, that sort of happened like magic. But there was a big period of inputting all the data into my mind and had to learn that a little square on a drawing could would be a concrete column in a building. I had to learn how to relate that by walking around the Swift plant in Arizona with the blueprints for the entire plant. Mm -hmm. I, I, I so appreciate you sharing um, these these insights into into what you had to learn and the way you learned it and, and why you're so passionate about uh, others sort of taking that, that on today. We only have a couple minutes. I wanted to just try ask you to comment on one last thing here because you talked about parents you talked about uh you know overprotection to some degree and and not having those real life you know opportunities for responsibility which start at home let's you know even if it's at the neighbors it starts you know in your neighborhood in your home neighborhood what um how does that relate to the way i you, you've talked before about your mother and and the things that your mother pushed you to do just just share a little she bit about a that really good mm. sense of stretching me, mm -hmm. stretching me and giving me choices. 
you know, uh, you don't throw the kid in the deep end of the pool. Like, you don't do a first job at a super busy store at Christmas time. No. You're going to have too much multitasking. There is problems with noise and multitasking. But she had a very good sense of stretching me. You've got to stretch just outside the comfort zone. Just outside the comfort zone. So not not, uh, not saying no risk, but just a little bit, just enough. A little bit. That's just enough. right. And this was at a time, Temple, when I, I believe I've read some of your work and I've heard you speak personally. Um, when a lot of other people really didn't think you could, you were going to do very much, correct? Well, well, yeah, and I, one of the things that motivated me to do the big project that was shown in the HBO movie, I want to talk about in the HBO, HBO movie what's correct. Visual thinking is shown absolutely correctly mm-hmm. and right, and my projects mm-hmm. are all real. All those projects are real, and I did that big dip that project, mm-hmm. and one of the things that motivated me to do that project is I wanted to prove to people I was not stupid. Okay. Well, that that's a powerful moment to to end on, and unfortunately, we have to end on that on that note. But uh, certainly, um, certainly, you're not, and I think that it's something that will resonate with a lot of our listeners. That that's what a lot of families are after. That's what a lot of individuals on the spectrum are after. Just to to make people understand that either their loved one, their child, their student, or themselves are not stupid. Uh, they may think differently, and that's important and okay. And I so appreciate all of your insight and your time today. Temple Grandin, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 